This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, this is Chris Anthe, Canine Master, and welcome to today's show. Today, I am pleased to have both Dr. Marty Goldstein and Cindy Meal on the show to discuss their recent documentary, The Dog Doc, which goes behind the scenes at Marty's practice in South Salem. It's called the uh, Smith Ridge Veterinary Center. In this documentary, it captures the full drama of Dr. Marty and his colleagues' life-changing commitment to wellness and the astonishing results they achieve. I'm excited to have Dr. Marty Goldstein and Cindy Meal on the show today. Marty has been a practicing veterinarian of medicine since 1973 when he graduated from Cornell. He has been a pioneer in integrative medicine and attracts patients from around the world, providing holistic treatments for animals where other vets have given up hope. He is considered a last hope for many. Okay, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Mojo would swallow things whole, a chicken carcass, a bird nest, and assorted stones and sticks. After surgery, Mojo had skin issues. He was constantly itching and scratching, chewing the hair right off of his legs. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. On the Dynavite, all of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you love your dog, you need to put him on Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Cindy has been one of my clients for several years, and I've worked with her dogs. And we've done some amazing things together, but I also know that Cindy has been a client of Dr. Goldstein's. Hey, Cindy, how's Wagner doing? Wagner, you really saved Wagner because we were about to give up on him for chasing my cat. And you gave me a few tools that were just, it was miraculous. So he's oh, that's great. great and we love him. He's the best dog in the world. Oh, that's great. I, he's, he's such a great dog. And, and, you know, Cindy adopted Wagner, which is even better, which we, which we really love. Cindy, she's the director of Dog Doc. And she also directed the award-winning movie Buck. Buck is, is an unconventional horse whisperer that works with horses around the country and has amazing results with these animals. It, it seems, Cindy, you have an amazing affinity for making movies about people who work with animals in an alternative way. You know, sort of like people that are thinking outside of the box. You know, that's very true. That's very true. Because when I find something, I'm such an animal lover. And when I find something that's, that's really working and I feel like it's not mainstream, but other people would love it as much as I would, then I'm very compelled to get it out as a message that would help other people and help mainly help other animals too. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. What inspired you to make this documentary? Was there, was there an event or something? I started 28 years ago with Marty um, when I had a dog, a Sharpay dog that was dying at six years old and all the conventional vets had given up on this dog. And I really didn't think there was hope until somebody said, go see Marty Goldstein. And thankfully she lived long enough to get her car in a month. She was acting like a puppy. It was, it was such a miracle. It was, it was the most radical transformation of an animal I've ever seen. And, and it was all just 
what he did, which made so much sense. I mean, it was going back to Mother Nature and getting out of the way <laughs> with all the meds we had her on. Yeah. And uh, it, it was astounding, just astounding. Yeah, that's what I, I see. I mean, you know, you bring us emotionally into this movie and into Dr. Marty's practice. And, and you give us a perspective that is um, that I found was really kind of cool because you're, you're coming from the client and also the perspective from the practitioner themselves. It's, you know, I started to see and really sort of feel what these people were feeling. And it's, it, you bring us into their lives. I, I thought the way it was sort of filmed and the way it was done was really inspiring. You did a similar thing with Buck, I think, in, in that movie as well. Um, in, and um, it really captures the lives and, and the way in which these people are dealing with their animals. I mean, it's just, it pulls at your heartstrings for, for sure. Well, I think, you know, we spent so much time filming both films. I mean, they were filmed over almost three years. And you have, when you make documentaries, there's no script. You just immerse yourself in their world. And it was really almost surprising to me to, to be in a vet clinic where you really do see behind the scenes. They let us into any room we wanted to walk into. So there was no acting. There was no, you know, we're going to set this up so you can film it. It was, we were just filming as it happened. So I think it's a wonderful view behind the scenes of of a veterinary clinic. And it it should make people really pay attention to everyone working at a clinic where when you're taking your animal there, you should care. Yeah, no, it was, it was truly, truly great. Of course, I mean, I must have, must have been a lot in the editing, too, of it's just randomly going, right? I mean, if, if you're shooting, 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 there must be a, a lot in the editing room to follow. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're trying to cut an educational series because there's so much great information oh, yeah. that did not end up in, you know, when you're doing like an hour and a half movie and you have 300 hours of footage, it's, it's quite the challenge. Yeah, and I bet you a lot of the edited out versions, must there must be so much valuable information in those as well. Because I, you know, I was thinking about all the other things you didn't see in that film when you were filming. So that's great you're going to do an educational series because I think a lot of vets would learn a lot about it. You know, Dr. Marty, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, after vet school, how did you start out? Well, you know, I graduated Cornell in 1973. I was really gung-ho. You know, the first couple of years, I was actually number two in my class in conventional medicine. So, you know, I've never lost track of conventional medicine just to become alternative or holistic. And then as I was graduating Cornell, I just had my own health issues that were genetically based. And as I searched for ways to regain my own health, especially going into European and Oriental studies, and it worked, it was like a no-brainer to try it on our family pets. And lo and behold, it worked. And it was just, it it became an eye-opening experience to start to apply common sense to the field of medicine. And not that I'm opposed to science, but my definition of science in the field of medicine is man trying to learn what nature already established. Right. So when nature creates a disease, there is actually a reason for it. So with Cindy's dog having these very high fevers, fevers are not an aspirin deficiency or a drug deficiency. They're trying to establish something or accomplish something in the body. And, you know, unfortunately, we've learned how to suppress what nature is doing with drugs. And, you know, I've witnessed the incidence of cancer alone in dogs at least triple or quadruple since I graduated Cornell. One of the major purposes of this documentary is just a wake-up call 
just an eye-opening event to saying, oh, wow, there is another way that we could add into conventional medicine. Yeah. I mean, I, it seems to me that you, you use traditional medicine, don't you, Marty? I mean, in every, other words, every day, every, every day. day. But you combine that with a holistic approach. And I see that what you're doing is you're more working with the body and treating the cause rather than treating the symptoms and, and medicating on that. Is that correct? Well, you're, you're actually not treating the cause, but you're supporting the patient. So the patient itself becomes the cause. And that's called the immune system. Right. You right. know, it's not, there's so you're supporting no doctor. Right. There's no doctor I consider a healer. They're just guides. Hippocrates said it all. Physician, heal thyself. So we're supporting each patient so their immune system and that mechanism can actually start and carry through the healing process instead of suppressing it with a chemical, which is an immunosuppressive event. And that's, in my opinion, why all chronic, major chronic degenerative illnesses in our companion animals has risen tremendously especially cancer. There's something wrong. Do you think it's coming from the food? I mean, how important is what you feed your dogs? I'm just, I know that you and I've talked about this years ago where you came to my canine center and, and lectured to some of my clients about the importance of food. How do you find that food is either causing or contributing to, to cancer? Well, the old adage is it all starts with food. You know, you are what you eat. And like I've always said, if the pet food industry was created by scientists that studied the way dogs and cats ate in nature, we would have never come to create, you know, commercial pet food the way it is, a cereal-based, baked, destroyed food that could sit in a bag for three months and be considered good. Or when I graduated Cornell, we had the whole age of the semi-moist food. So yeah. you take a, a red burger and put it in a bowl, and six days later, it's still moist and red. That's not food. <laughs> oh, that's, that's where, yeah, I mean. It's not. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I think that people don't realize how important feeding your dog is. What do you think of the barf diet or the raw diet? Is that what we should be feeding our dogs? Is it a combination of meat and bones, or is, it, or is there more things that we should be really looking at when we feed our dogs? Well, if we go back into ideal nature, yes, that's what they would have been eating in nature. We've strayed so much through the domestication process that we just have to watch out. You know, we can't take all dogs and cats and throw them on a raw diet because we're so far from that. It could cause a lot of illness itself. So what I always teach people is instead of trying to find the ideal gold coin diet, you should just aim in the direction of health. Like I know for myself, through what I've done for my own health, the ideal diet. I don't live it. You know, I'll go out on a Friday night and have a great time and eat a bunch of junk and and have a, a, you know, a beer or two or a glass of wine. But I'll always know where to, to go in a direction of health. Same thing with my animals. Sure. They basically eat a very healthy meal that's mostly raw. But, you know, if we're having a pizza, we'll throw them crust. You know, we'll give them some of the leftovers because they enjoy it. But we always know what to come back to. If your dog or cat has cancer, it's a different story. 
then you must get strict. Yes. How about grains? I mean, are you, do you stay away from yeah. grains? Well, grains are not so much evil. There's just no real requirement for it. One of God's gifts to our profession, Dr. Greg Ogilvie, who was the head of internal medicine and oncology at Colorado State University for over a decade, demonstrated that the byproducts of cereal or grain metabolism in a dog's body, which is glucose and lactate, supply the growth of cancer cells. And so many of the biggest selling foods in the history of our country have been 50 to 64% processed cereal byproducts. Oh, yeah, it's not good. And this whole debacle about grain-free diets causing heart disease, it just doesn't hold water because there is nothing in a grain, there is nothing in corn or rice that supports heart health of a dog or a cat. It's the poor quality meats in these grain-free diets and what they're using to make up or substitute for the grains that, you know, these peas and potatoes and tapiocas that contain substances that block the utilization of taurine across the intestine. But it's not, you know, so all of a sudden people are saying, oh, I'm going to start adding rice into my dog's diet so their heart stays healthy. That is not true. Oh my gosh. You know, in vet school, you know, I've always heard that, you know, in vet school, you don't really learn that much about nutrition. I don't know if that still holds true, but I know in the olden days, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago, nutrition wasn't a big thing that you studied. You seem to have a tremendous uh, and, and give a tremendous insight in this documentary about nutrition and just as you're telling us now. And it's, it's so refreshing to hear a veterinarian knows so much about this and it can educate people. It's, it's really a great thing. Um, yeah, my four years at Cornell, I had a three-week course on nutrition for animals, oh my. and it was about arithmetics, mathematics. It had nothing to do with quality. It was how to balance proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and total digestible nutrients, but it had nothing to do with the quality of food. We were just, you know, how to put together the right amount of protein and fats to reach government standards. Yeah. It, was, you know, it was a farce. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, the other thing I want to ask you is your opinion, and I kind of sort of got it through the, through the documentary, but your, your philosophy on vaccinations, you know, and when they should be used, in what situations should they be used, and should you even vaccinate at all and continue or just do titers, which is where we, we look at the natural immunity of the, of the animal. Yeah, it's a huge controversial issue. I am not opposed to vaccination like, you know, it's so well expressed in the documentary. It's just the way we've accepted standardized vaccination in veterinary medicine, which actually was a decision made by one man at Cornell in the 1950s. And, you know, until just kind of recently, we were standardly vaccinating all dogs and all cats every single year with all their kittenhood and puppyhood vaccines. And the dose for the Chihuahua was the same as the dose for the Great Dane. Yeah, and crazy. that dose could be up to 10 times what the Great Dane needs, all proven scientifically. And like when people raise their eyebrows when I discuss when their dog comes in or a cat comes in with cancer, they're 11 years old, and we discuss vaccine. Oh, yeah, he's all up to date on, on his vaccines. You know, we're really good about that. 
And I just look at them and I said, when was your last polio shot? And all of a sudden the light goes off sure. because, you know, we get vaccinated, over vaccinated, unfortunately, as children. And then we're more or less done for life. Why isn't it the same for dogs and cats when there is full scientific documentation? And you mentioned the word titer. We now have the ability by applying good science to veterinary medicine to take blood tests on dogs and cats to determine the level of immunity in their immune system against the diseases they were vaccinated for. And guess what? If they have an acceptable immunity against, let's say, distemper or parvo or even rabies, then they don't need a vaccine because a calendar says so. Yeah. I mean, so the rabies vaccine used to be given annually. I now I think it I think it was always a three year vaccine. But unfortunately, many states still require you to get that rabies vaccination. Yes. And the rabies challenge fund, the listeners go online and look at that. They replicated a study done in France and which showed that dogs vaccinated standardly up to one year of age when challenged with live rabies virus and had positive titers, they all had positive titers for protection, that they were immune eight years later, even when challenged with live rabies vaccine. The study, unfortunately, ran out of proper rabies to administer in the study, but they still proved, and it's all published now, that the minimum duration of protection from standardized rabies vaccines in in dogs is five years. Why are we vaccinating every three years? And do you know how many hospitals still vaccinate every year or every two years? It is because we see those animals that come in from all over the United States and Canada with these chronic, severe, non-responsive diseases. We look at their vaccine history and they're vaccinated up the hill even when they're sick. So it's just, you know, this is the point of the documentary. But do you think that it's veterinary? I mean, now I'm going to sort of jump in here on something that maybe you're not going to want to talk about because I don't know what repercussions you might have with the veterinary community. But do you think that it's a financial thing that the veterinarians are vaccinating the way they are and as often as they are? Or is it it just the way that, you know, is it financial or is it they're really believing they're doing the right thing? It's a combination of both. You know, it's assumed and considered that 50% of a veterinarian's income comes from vaccinations. And, you know, the excuse they use, it's a way to get the people in for an annual exam. I agree with that, but there are other ways. We see animals once a year that are healthy to take blood samples and put them on proper diet nutritional programs based on their blood samples not by pummeling them with vaccines that are almost definitely not needed based on science. Right, Cindy? Right. right. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. I mean, you so uncover that. In, and you even talk about in the documentary about where even the site of where the vaccine is given, many times cancer develops right at that site. You know, and that's proven, especially in cats. It's called the vaccine-induced sarcoma. And now it's also in dogs. It's mostly associated with the rabies vaccine. So... Instead of not vaccinating that cat and taking a titer to see, especially if they're indoors, the recommendation now is to vaccinate with one vaccine in the lower left leg, the other one in the right leg with the tail, so that when the tumor grows, you can resolve the situation by amputation. Oh and then, like we, it's so well done 
in this documentary the chemical that they put into the vaccine called the adjuvant that enhances the absorption. And it's the adjuvant, it's proven scientifically, that is causing these tumors to grow. So veterinarians that are listening, or people that are listening tell their veterinarians, get adjuvant-free vaccinations. They are available. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then the other, the other thing that, and I just want to touch on this briefly, is varying the schedule of vaccination. So if you're going to go do the vaccines, especially I, I see this is important in small dogs, but probably in all dogs, is to not do all your vaccinations on one day, but to stagger them. Is that something that you guys practice? Absolutely. Where in nature is any individual, be it two-legged or four-legged, exposed to five or six different diseases at the same time and not through normal route of entry into the body, which has the skin to protect the nose, the respiratory system, the mucous membranes, but by injection directly into the bloodstream. You talk about an assault to the immune system by taking these vaccines adding coloring dyes, adding adjuvants, getting them up to concentrations that are way past what a great day needs, and then injecting them directly into the bloodstream. It's insanity. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And I'm not afraid to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad. I mean, I think, you know, the one thing I say by watching this is, is how much you guys in this documentary really are educating the public about these alternative methods and or or, you know, integrated medicine, as we say. And, and you're really like showing people that there's an alternative to what, and, and a better alternative. And I think this sort of uh, is one of the best things about this movie, besides the fact that it absolutely melt my heart to see, you know, to see Waffle, you know, Waffle, just seeing Waffle throughout the movie. And, and I was so impressed with the commitment and love and care with all, which you guys treated all the patients um, and the owners. It, it's really a, an amazing uh uh, facility that you have in veterinary practice, but it also you know just shows you how involved your team gets with each one of their patients, and and that's really a great thing. I, it was really hard not to shed a tear in the movie. I'm sure a lot of a lot of people have, but um, I was holding it back there. It was it was actually a lot of jo- a lot of joy, a lot of joy and sorrow as well, but joy. You know, I know that the dog doc is recently launched. Is that right, Cindy? You guys recently you launched it this past year, or was it in 2019? Now we well we premiered at Tribeca and then we had planned this big theatrical run that would go through the summer, uh, starting uh-huh. the spring in March, and of course then COVID happened, so we just pretty much went directly to VOD, uh, which means video on demand. Uh, so there's a lot of different platforms that where you can find it, and we will continue to well we and we are actually virtually in a lot of theaters too, so you can even pick your favorite theater or try to support the local theaters that of course are also having a hard time right now and you either watch it through a theater virtually or you can watch it on other platforms like iTunes and Amazon and Apple and maybe it'll get back into theaters at some point. Yeah. We have the DVD of course is coming out in the fall and that's another great Christmas gift we might say. Um, right. Yeah, it's just it's wonderful, you know, you really exposing people to a different way of thinking about their animal's health and and as uh, their own health as well. You know, it definitely filters through any mammal, I would say. So we highly hope that people will 
find it and watch it. Yeah, I found it on Amazon Prime, actually. So I, I was looking at where you could find it, but I, I did find it there. You know, how long did it take you guys to make this film? It took three years. Oh, right? my gosh. Because it was, well, you had to follow the stories, and you really wanted to, to give a, you wanted to follow a dog you know, through their journey. And, and sometimes you don't get healed in a, a week or, you know, as we know, health takes time. So, so we just, we had so many great stories and we had to, at the end of the day, just pick like three or four. I was really blown away by all the different alternative methods that you guys show in the movie, like cryosurgery, acupuncture, MagnaWave. Um, but one of them that I wanted to ask you about, Marty, was the intravenous vitamin C. I see a doctor named George Zabrecki. Dr. George Zabrecki is a, well, he's a chiropractor, but he's actually my doctor. And during this COVID time, I have, I, just on Friday, I got a vitamin C IV. And it really is amazing on, on helping you. I guess it's inflammation, but tell me a little bit about how you guys are, are using it because I've been using it with my own doctor and he's alternative and just wondering how you saw the same thing. Yeah, I started to use intravenous vitamin C in the late 70s because my dear, dear friend, Dr. George Zabrecki, taught me about it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, so yeah, it was George. George, George is great. Um, uh, George is, is beyond, beyond great. He just contributed a section to the new book I just wrote. Brilliant beyond anyone I've ever met. Yeah, and what's interesting is that there is so much documentation right now, even in the National Institute of Health of the United States, showing the efficacy of intravenous vitamin C in addressing and successfully treating COVID, but you don't hear about it. Yeah. And it's such a shame. You know, it's why this movie has to come out as just a wake up call. George happens to be my doctor too. <laughs> Isn't this I, funny, you guys? I, <laughs> what are the chances of that? Vitamin C drips for the last year. I do it like every month or every two, three months. And right. I started doing it because while we were filming and I kept seeing these dogs go on IVC drips and, and have these amazing recoveries. I mean, one dog literally paralyzed from a rabies vaccine and got up and walked after four days of being on IVC and they had wanted to put the dog down because it had a hydrocephalus of the brain. Anyway, I've been doing seed ribs myself just based on, and I went to George, I said, you know, these dogs are getting so much better. I keep seeing this. I said, do you do seed ribs here? And he said, oh, sure, we do them. They're called Myers cocktails. And so I started doing them too. So yeah. Thanks, thanks to Lewis, I guess. It's Lewis there. Yeah, it's Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, guys. Wow, what a small world that is. Well, you know, I just think that we, we, we need to sort of embrace this as people that love pets for ourselves and also for the pets. You know, where do you see this in, in five years? I mean, because I know that whether it's, it's the practice of George Zabrecki or it's the practice of Dr. Marty Goldstein, you know, sometimes I've seen people refer to you guys as kooks. You know, I'm sorry to say that, but I sort of like, these guys are crazy, you know, and I'm sure that's been the response over the years, but where do you see this in another five years? Well, I think the documentary is a timeless film. It could get released five years from now and be as effective and as correct because nature and healing is timeless. So 
you know, I'm, I'm sure Cindy's concerned, but I'm not concerned about this documentary. I think it's going to get re-released. Yeah, and, and, and movies. how do you see that the general public, mean, how are people, how are the vets reacting to this? I mean, I, every I'm veterinarian sure that I know who has seen it has given me the thumbs up. Wow, that's great. That's great. All right. The thing is that, of course, Smith Ridge Veterinary Clinic is, uh, Veterinary Center is being inundated from the people who've seen it, who also have these cases. <laughs> that are huge and they've had no results and then they're coming in there. And you know, what we really need is obviously Smith Ridge can't handle every pet that wants to come there. But what we really need is a lot more veterinarians, you know, instead of having these cookie cutter, big conglomerate companies buying up these vet center, these veterinary clinics and having it become cookie cutter medicine, it's like a chain, you know, vet clinics have now become chains. Overall. Yep. It's oh, hard we see it all an yeah. independent veterinary clinic. We need more people who will create clinics that do this type of medicine so that everyone has access to it. And if and if people do want to find a veterinarian, they need to go to the AHVMA, which stands for American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Mm-hmm. Put in your area. And you can find a veterinarian that does practice alternative methods along with conventional. It's, it's integrative. So they do conventional medicine, but yep. they have, you know, supplements and alternative things that are less invasive. Yeah. So go to the AHVMA and <clears throat> find a veterinarian. If you're not getting results with your pet, honestly, then you need to keep looking sometimes. So yep, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's great. Well, you know, I can't leave this interview without asking you, Marty, maybe you can shed some light on this about the COVID-19 <laughs> epidemic. You know, at my facility, we have people coming into our facility still. And because we were considered necessary, we never actually closed down because we were caring for first line responders and we were caring for their pets. So we stayed open. But one of the things that we were wondering is when we're handing off dogs and we're, we're exchanging with these people, um, even though we're doing it outside with masks on, can dogs infect? people can dogs well i mean if you had covid and coughed on your dog that virus just like if you coughed on you know a piece of furniture or you know something that could serve as a vector or a vehicle to transfer it you know there have been a couple of cases of dogs found with covid but they got well you know there was what the one tiger there was supposedly a cat found but you know, they're not affected negatively by COVID. They can't serve. You know, and that's why dog parks, you have to just watch out because, you know, the dog could carry the virus for a certain number of hours and expose you to it. But it, it's not really, you know, coronavirus has been around in dogs and cats. Oh, sure. We've been treating it for years. Sure. But it's, you know, usually a gastrointestinal kind of upset, not a terminal fatal disease like when it mutated into people. Yeah, I also heard that fur, which has a natural oil on it, is a pretty unstable environment correct. for the coronavirus to, to stay on. So that was something I had heard. So that is correct. Yeah, good. We don't need to get crazy that if I pet my dog and he go and you go over and pet him, that uh, I'm going to get infected. I mean, I think, I think there's been a lot of people asking us at, at our facility, and I'm sure at your facility is this something that's easily transferred. But I, I guess that the research shows that it is not very easily transferred. Is that correct? It, yeah, it, it's not. I mean, it's just, you know, social distancing, you know, properly applied, like at a dog park, just makes sense. 
Yeah. And we have a Facebook video that's coming out in the next week or two about this. And I've been researching it and there's no real documented cases of people catching it from their pets. Oh, well, that's great news. That's great. I found I've yeah, been there you go. listening to everybody and all the scientists and this and that. And so that's, um, and you can also go to the, to the American Veterinary Medical Association. They do have stuff on COVID as well. So anyway, what my research says, no, it, you know, yeah. Well, that's mild case, but they can't, they haven't really transmitted it. Well, there must be so much. And and on your Facebook page, which is, what is it? Dog doc? Is that how they would find it on Facebook? You could search the dog doc or dog doc, the film, either one. Okay. And because that's uh, probably some great information on there, Cindy, that you guys are putting. Um, There is. Please follow us on Facebook. (laughs) Fantastic. We will get our viewers to do so. I want to thank both uh, Marty and Cindy for being on the show today. I think this has been an amazing, informative program today and so much valuable information. And you guys can watch Dog Doc. As I said, I found it on Amazon Prime, but you know, some other areas as well, other platforms. And I want to thank you guys for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure. Well, great, you guys. Well, I hope to get to see you both soon. Okay, well, that's it for today. And I really hope you guys found our show to be interesting. I'd love to hear your comments and for have you join in the conversation. You can also visit us on caninemaster.com. That's C-A-N-I-N-E master.com. And let me know what's working for you and what, what's, what's not working for you. Send me your videos and your photos and so I can see them and see what's going on with your dog. And let me help you solve your problems. Goodbye for now. And I'll see you next time on Canine Master Radio, where I will continue to help you master the relationship with your dog. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.